0: Uh, Just a quick note, you're going to see there's a big mound of these wonderful lozenges here. Um, This is going (laughs) to help me and help you um, through this this sermon. And so, if that happens to offend you, I I apologize, but I don't want to be coughing. And my cough, Angie always describes it as a shotgun. It's like it just pow right there in your face. So... There you have it. Well, <coughs> let's uh, let's pray one more time, and then we'll uh, uh, then we'll dig into uh, the word for this morning. Lord, you are awesome in this place, and we praise you and we worship you this morning. God, I'm so grateful that that in your holiness, in your righteousness, God, you still love us, and that you sent Jesus to die in my place and in all of our places so that we could be made right with you. And so, Lord, this morning, we approach the Scriptures with a humility, and with an understanding that, God, you are so good, and that we are so privileged that we get to have this relationship with you. And so, God, we don't take these words lightly. We join with the people of Israel that we're going to be reading about, and we open up our lives to you. And what you have to say, God, we want your voice to be the loudest voice in our lives that you would be the defining author speaking a narrative and you know a story into our lives that we can grab onto and 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 claim for ourselves that we would have that new life that that eternal life that kingdom life that you have for us so as we do look to Your Word, Holy Spirit, come and illuminate the Scriptures as only You can. Help us to understand, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, uh, today, uh, we're continuing in a series called Rebuild. Um, we've been spending the summer going through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and... I won't take a bunch of time to review all the different pieces. If you would like to to know more about it, we have uh, most of the messages online, either on our church website um, or we also have a podcast that I think distributes to all the different platforms like Spotify and Apple and Google and all of that. So feel free to you know to to tune in there, but. Uh, just to give a little bit of review, Nehemiah was a man. He, his his uh, his lineage was Hebrew, uh, was from you know the nation of Israel, but he had either been sent into exile or he was born in exile in the land of Persia. And so, even though at one point the nation of Israel they were all in. Uh, the promised land that God had given his people, um, stuff went down and they were no longer there. Uh, That's a very, very big broad brushstroke there for you. Um, But so Nehemiah, he heard about, uh, you know, from his family what was going on in Jerusalem, the capital city of, of Judah, which is one of the tribes of Israel, and it broke his heart because this was the place that was supposed to be defined by God's presence and God's glory and was supposed to be a testimony to the nations of God's peace um, and really his presence among everybody. And yet it was in shambles. And so we've been going through this book to see how Nehemiah approached the idea of rebuilding. You know, when there's something that at one time was as it was supposed to be, and then eventually it has broken down due to whatever series of circumstances that, you know, what are the steps that He took and that we can take as well. Because as an example for us in our church, um, as a church body, we've existed for uh, over 120 years now. Believe it or not, we were planted in the year 1900 uh, by some circuit-riding preachers going up and down the Sayusla. and that's amazing, and God has been faithful through it all. Um, But there are some of us today who were there a long time ago. I wasn't, but a long time ago when you might have called it the glory days, uh, when things were as they should be, and you you would have seen this this house packed in a way. and And so for us as a church, we're going through a season of trying to figure out, okay, what does God want for our church? How does He want us to rebuild? And so that's really the main thrust. I know for us personally, lots of us have gone through a lot of changes in the last couple of years. Um, Some of us are going through a lot of changes right now where things once were good and now they're not as good or maybe they're really not good. And you're in a season where maybe you need some new life breathed into into your life, into your walk, into your situation. And so the encouraging thing to me is that uh, we're at a section in the book of Nehemiah where really there's what we would label a revival taking place for the people. And I know that that word kind of gets thrown out as you know trying to describe some kind of event or thing, and that, that might be an apt you know, description of what we are experiencing in the book of Nehemiah. A couple weeks ago when I was here, we looked at at chapter 7, and really it was Nehemiah describing the organization of the community, and how we learned that God's people are formed around and by worship, because everything that was in the chapter 7 of Nehemiah really centered on the practice and the presence in the community of worship and how that's such a vital thing that we, as God's people, interact with. And today, the title for today's message is Fire. Uh, You could call it Revival Fire. Um, A couple weeks ago, we could have called it Revival Form. Um, I heard uh, one commentator once say, once say, in looking at all the revivals that have happened throughout history, and really, there are two key common factors in all revivals that have taken place, and they are form and fire, that there's some kind of organization that takes place, some kind of you know getting together of god 's people and you know getting them all in line, getting, getting things figured out. But then there's also the piece called fire, when God shows up, when you get to see a move of God's Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of people. And so you even see that. So our tribe, the Evangelical Church, um, we're not just a, a cultural movement that, that's been around. Uh, in the last 50 years or so. We've actually existed for a while. And our tribe, our movement, was birthed out of the Holiness Methodist movement. And a guy named John Wesley um, was a very organized, detailed guy. Um, The only problem was he didn't have the fire of God in his life. He didn't have he was missing something. And there came this point where he kind of came to the end of himself and he was back in England at the time and uh, at a place called Aldersgate. Uh, In his diary, uh, there was this point where he felt his heart strangely warmed and, and full of the love of God. And you can look at Wesley's life and that was a defining moment where from that point on, there was something wildly different. He didn't lose all the organization stuff, and yet he was what we would call on fire for God. And so uh, this makes me think of building a fire. (coughs) A couple weeks ago, uh, Angie and the kids went camping. I had the privilege of getting to stay at home uh, those couple of nights and not be out in the cold camping um but the first night i didn't i didn't get off scot-free i had to build a fire um because i offered and it was getting them set up over at honeyman with angie's folks and um they had brought wood and um in in the last oh probably second half of my life i've really taken it on myself to try to learn the best way through camping how to build a fire um, because when I first started out, when Angie and I first got married, I was lousy at it. I, I really was. It was terrible. But so eventually I'd heard that you, you know, there's the structure of how you build the fire, right? So um, for some people, they think of it as like a log cabin where you, you put a piece here and a piece there, and then you put some pieces on top, and then you build it from there. There's other folks who use the TP method where you kind of put the sticks up there like that and you you try to use gravity to, to have the sticks all put together. Um, the problem is that you have to have the right stuff in the middle <laughs> to really build a fire, right? Uh, so as an example, um, uh, uh, there's been a practice in Angie's family of uh, taking uh, uh, towelettes, like just paper towels, and soaking them in bacon grease because we all love bacon. And if you don't love bacon, I'm sorry, I'll eat some for you. But, um, but so, you know, soaking up the bacon grease in these paper towels and using that to start a fire. And I've never been able to get this to work, ever. And it didn't really work this last time uh, at, uh, at Honeyman. But, uh, you know, rewind a couple of months, I was in, uh, we were at Odell Lake camping, uh, really roughing it, it was, it was a, a tough time, and I thought I was going to be clever, and I thought, I know, there's this, uh, you can get these fuel pellets that are guaranteed to light no matter what, rain or shine, but I lost them. And the problem with that is, is that it's cold at Odell Lake. As some of you warned me about, it's, it's cold and windy and rainy. And all those devil bugs called mosquitoes are out there. It's terrible. Um, but what I learned there is that I had to learn how to build it without all the fancy bells and whistles. And so I was, I was trying everything I could, organizing everything I could. Um, Told the kids get as much, you know, pine cones and branches as you can get me, and they bring me a small little stack. It's like I need more, um, but eventually I also used those bacon starters. Only this time I tore them up, and I kind of you know organized them so that there was air. Because the thing that I've learned in building fires is that you need air. Yeah, uh, you need some kind of fuel. And you need a spark. And as long as you have those three elements, somehow there's going to be some kind of combustion that could take place in that that space. Why am I talking about fires? Well, because we're talking about revival, and I'm using this idea of fire to kind of explain what's going on inside the people that we're going to be talking about. The place is Jerusalem. Uh, We've been there for quite some time. You know, the events that are taking place in this chapter, chapter 8, are taking place after the wall has been finished, after the people have been organized into groups, and it's on the first day of the seventh month, which would have been, oh gosh, about roughly 10 days or so before... Uh, the Day of Atonement, which was a, a high holy day in the Jewish culture. And we see in this passage the people. We see a man named Ezra the scribe. We haven't heard from Ezra this whole time. And then we also see the man, Nehemiah. And what's happening is that God's people are gathering together for a really special purpose, and it's just to hear God's Word. And then we see them respond in worship as well. Now, why are they doing this? That's what we're going to find out together. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Uh, okay. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah, and on his left were Peta'iah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. Here we go. Zachariah and Meshulam. Yeah, they are. That's absolutely right. Thank you, Stephen. All right. I wish your name was in here. I, I could say that. All right. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing <coughs> above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodaiah, all those people, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out, and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day of the, to the last, as Ezra read from the Book of the Law of God, they celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So, the first thing that I'd like to say is really the big idea of what I see in this passage is that God's unfailing love is the fire that makes us come alive. God's unfailing love is the fire that makes us come alive. Why that that phrase isn't in there anywhere, unfailing love, what's going on? Well, the thing is, is that in what we just read, Ezra is reading from the book of the law which was, you know, it, it's the first five books of what we call the Bible today. And in that section, after you get through Genesis, even though Genesis is its own thing where God shows how unfailing His love truly is towards His people, but from Exodus through Deuteronomy. You see story after story of how even though the people are faithless, God remains faithful. And so, as the words are being read, that's what's being revealed to the people, and they respond accordingly. The first thing I learn from this passage, beyond just that big idea, is that you know, for a revival, for a revival to take place in our lives and in this place, in our town, we need a desire for God and His presence. We need a desire for God and His presence. Now, these people, the neat thing is that the wall is finished. They've settled into their communities. They're not in upheaval. They're not afraid for their lives at this point. All has been provided, Uh, injustices have been right or have been made right uh, by Nehemiah's governance. And so now the people, they all gather together, almost like they planned it this way, they probably did. And you know, what is it that they want? Do they want to complain to Ezra and say, Ezra, you're treating us wrong. This is bad stuff. No. Uh, (laughs) What's going on is they want to hear from God's Word. They want to hear what God has to say. Most of the people at this time would have been illiterate, and so their only way of engaging with the Scriptures was the public reading of the Word. And so that's why they say, Ezra, bring out the Word. Bring out the book of the law. We want to hear from this. And so the people they showed that through it all they had a desire for God above all things. That they didn't desire, you know, the wealth and prestige and power of other nations. They didn't want to make those alliances anymore. They didn't want to trust in, you know, things that don't last but rather they had seen firsthand through this work that God had done in helping them be strengthened to build this wall that God was their God and they were his people. And so their desire was for him. And the book of the law, it can also, you know, it can symbolize God's presence with us here. Even now, if I were to you know, just be out in, let's say I was at a, a coffee shop or let's say I was down at Beachcombers or something and I cracked open the Bible. There's, there's a shift that takes place in people's attitude towards you when they see that you have a Bible. Now, sometimes it's favorable and sometimes it's not as favorable. And uh, like I always say, conflict is a good thing because it's an opportunity for growth. And so, um, and so that's a good thing there. But they desired God's presence in their life. They wanted to hear God's voice, and so they approached Nehemiah for that. And that reveals to me that even reinforcing more that God's unfailing love is the fire that makes us come alive. They were hungering and thirsting for God. Um. Uh, there's this one uh, writing that's called the Shorter Catechism. And uh, I don't have time to give you the background, but essentially what they say in this little booklet is that the chief end of man, which means basically the purpose why we exist as people, is to uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think that we see that heart here for these people. Another thing I see in our passage is that we need the power of God's word. We need the power of God's word for revival. Um, Did you notice in verse 13, so after the first day has taken place, they've heard, the law read to them, they still had a hunger to know more about what God had to say. And so the leaders of all the families got together just to study the scriptures and have Ezra guide them through that time. And it was at that point that they discovered, hey, there's this thing called the Feast of Shelters, and we haven't been doing that. We should live as it's written. We should align ourselves with what God has said. And so they said, you know, uh, they, excuse me, they spread the word throughout everywhere to let people know this is what's going on. And what's amazing to me about that. is that in the declaration of God's word and the study of God's word, it was so powerful that just hearing the words was causing them, it was moving something inside of them. And it was causing them to feel convicted in their heart and causing them to feel remorse and to feel grief. And yet, the resounding message to the people at this point in the story is not to, yeah, you better be sorry. It's, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think that perspective is a really fascinating one, because when we think of the power of God's Word, you know, uh, scriptures that say, you know, God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, or scriptures that say, you know, that, uh, oh, I have it written down here somewhere. Um, that uh, in Isaiah 55, uh, the word of God doesn't return void. Uh, it says in Isaiah 55, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but, my, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Um, And so their experience of God is supposed to be characterized by joy, not just sorrow. And oh, that we would feel the power of God when we hear his word. Because for us, this is so much more than just a book. For us, this is like a letter from our God to us, describing to us you know, what he is like, and ultimately what we're like as well, and how he still loves us and still wants us, even through it all, and that he's made a way through Jesus for that now uh, the last thing i see is that we need to remember what god has done so the purpose behind the feast of shelters the command to go camping it's in the bible people um the the command of it though was to reenact their journey through the wilderness. Um, when I was growing up, I had some cousins who loved to do Civil War reenactments. I still think that whole practice is crazy, but what it did <coughs> is that my cousins knew so much about the Civil War and that time period in American history that I never would have thought to study ever, and yet they knew it. And so what, how that relates is God has given us this practice, well, as He gave the people of Israel this practice to remember, to remember details about their story, that when they would set up their shelter, they would be forced to look up and in the night sky be able to see all the stars. And I imagine that if I was one of those Israelites, I'd be thinking about, now, I just heard Ezra read today how God had promised Abraham that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sand on the seashore. I'm looking up at those stars, and it is stunning. And that reminder that, boy, that's who our God is, not, not the stars, but the maker of the stars, the one who has given us these reminders of who He is and what He's like. We need to remember what God has done. For us today, we do that as we weekly gather for worship. We also, within the, the, the overall Christian liturgical tradition, uh, like our brothers and sisters in the Lutheran Church and the Episcopal Church, Um, they have a rhythm to their year Uh, we we still do that sort of with you know advent and christmas and uh, easter and pentecost too um, and common time and all of that and we you know as christians we have a rhythm we have high holy days that we remember and we celebrate what god has done for us through jesus and so i would submit to you today that you know god's unfailing love it is the fire that makes us come alive are there places where we need to remember what god has done are there places in our life where we need to experience the power of god's word more frequently like the leaders of the families did where It wasn't just enough to hear Ezra speak about it, that they wanted to dig in for themselves. Do we have a desire for God in his presence in our daily lives? And I can't answer that for you, but it's something that as we think about this idea of rebuilding, whether personally or as a group, these are the kinds of things that make up the stuff that build the fire in our lives. And, and ultimately, we ask for God's presence to fuel that fire, to, to set it ablaze, so to speak. So, let's pray.